On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Well, hello once again. Welcome back to History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. Uh, We are part of the illustrious, luminous Pantheon Podcast Collective. Uh, Welcome back to another episode. This is 242. Uh, Episode 242. I'm calling it This Band's British Steel. Episode 242. We've got Front 242. We've got Level 42. Uh, but anyways, this is Episode 242. So yes, this band's British Steel. This is part of the uh, the whole... Uh, we had Episode 214, this band's Smoke on the Water. And we had Episode 217, this band's Police Album in brackets. Uh, so this is the first one that I noticed where I'm actually comparing it to an actual album. Um, this is actually a cool episode. This is going to be a lot of fun, although the categories are a little fluid uh, because because the problem is, is a lot of these albums fit in multiple categories, uh, which makes it pretty cool. You know what also makes this a cool episode? Um, the fact that I went through a ton of bands, and a lot of bands don't have a British steel. Uh, lots and lots and lots of bands. I thought of even listing them at the end, but it just got to be too many. So so that's the clue that I've got a, uh, a kind of a cool idea here, too, when a lot of, a lot of things don't uh, apply. Um, why are we doing this band's British steel? Well, I've got, I've got Priest on the brain right now. I just uh, the other day interviewed Rob Halford, and before that, Ian Hill, and... Um, and Richie Faulkner for the new Priest album, Invincible Shield. So a lot of Priest on the Brain, working on a Priest panel book as well. Um, and some interesting things came up about British Steel um, in in that uh, in that panel examination, talking to some pretty big rock stars about, and, and you know, them uh, sort of expressing the magic of that album when still, you know, I still have a little bit of anger about that album uh, coming after Hellbent for Leather, which is my favorite Priest album. The uh, the sort of simplifying, the dumbing down, the Tom Allman, uh, you know, he's on the live album, of course, too, but Dave Holland coming in, that whole thing, and the songs, you know, the fast songs being not as good as the earlier fast songs, that kind of thing. But I, I've really come around uh, because there's there's been a lot of uh, you know there were a lot of cool points made uh, in that uh, like I say by some big rock stars about about the magic of that album. There's not a lot of anger to that album. A lot of a lot of these guys really like that record, um, and I think it might have to do a little bit with them being in the industry, of course, as well, right? Um, so the idea that um, you know they they like to see. Uh, they're they're part of this business as a business as a job and and they want to see um, success some success out of these guys uh, as well too they're happy for priest um, so so they uh, they can be enamored by this idea of why did this work this this time and working it out and it all has to do with songwriting I don't want to get too far ahead of myself uh, here because we've got a lot of fun examples here of uh, bands that have a British steel um, this was also inspired by 
Uh, going through a Contrarians episode, a Dark Horse episode recently on Queens the Game, um, and I, you know, opened my monologue on that, saying that, uh, you know, how I've always said that that my favorite um, objective, uh, you know, runs of genius by any rock bands across all genre are Queen and Priest, um, and then uh, this idea that um, with British Steel, uh, Judas Priest become mortals. And uh, with the game, I think Queen become mortals because after the jazz, even though News of the World is a bit of a mortal album, I think after jazz, uh, you get this, uh, you get this simplifying, like we're we're participating in the world. I, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but that's that's a big part of it as well. And uh, just this idea that the game is 1980, British Steel is 1980. Um, I just saw like a a, a poignant uh, parallel there uh, between the two. So this is this is really almost inspired fully um, by that episode um, because I, I definitely want to make a, a, the point about Queen the Game and we'll we'll get into that a little more but uh, let's move on to our very first selection here. Uh, take a listen to this. This is Megadeth with Countdown to Extinction. Okay, so the title track from Countdown to Extinction. So the loose category here, and again, the categories, I had a real problem with this because a lot of these fit in a bunch of categories. So hopefully I, I mention all the ways these uh, these line up uh, as we go along. But uh, but I wanted to pick one that I feel like fits, uh, well, this actually fits two categories. So the idea with um, this particular Megadeth album uh, is is this idea of how on British Steel, and again, the neat thing about this episode, I think, is is that we really get to sort of tear apart British Steel and what is the magic of it. And one of the things that I've always said is the magic of this album, even when I'm angry about this album, the first thing I, I recognize and realize about this album, and, and you know, as kids uh, in 1980 getting this as a new release, uh, the fact that Grinder and Metal Gods um, seem to be, and even Breaking the Law to some extent, uh, but not some of the other ones that's for sure um really seem to be a step up in the songwriting department especially grinder and metal gods those represent to me this idea of uh priest uh really sort of uh simplifying things but still being really heavy and coming up with something really catchy and hooky that can participate in the world and can cause a hit album which british steel was so those two songs uh, those those were the only two songs I remember when we got this album that we thought were as good as the best seventies songs. Put it that way, uh, and they're and they're quite simple, but that's perfectly okay. They were they really kind of hit you right between the eyes with uh, with some heavy metal purity. Um, so that was great. So the, so the idea here with this category is uh, is discovering the magic of great songwriting that can cause you to have a hit. And so Megadeth with Countdown to Extinction had a huge hit album. is It was a big step up. Um, from Rust and Peace, which is a pretty cerebral album. Um, other ones in this category, we've got Metallica with the Black Album. So definitely the whole idea of uh, of simplifying, slowing down. Now, British Steel isn't exactly a slowing down, but it's really stripping out a lot of the extraneous elements. So, you know, you think of, you think of Sin After Sin, Stained Class, 
Hellbent for Leather. There's a, there's a lot of note density and riffiness and, and complicated playing. So Megadeth goes from uh, And Justice for All, which is their most complicated album, over to, over to, uh, over to um, did I say Megadeth? Metallica, over to the Black Album, right? Um, which is uh, way more stripped down and simple. And then obviously they had a massive, massive hit with it, right? Um, I feel like uh, ZZ Top Eliminator fits into this as well because this category I also want to uh, to fold in the idea of uh, Tom Allum and production. So this more simplified, straightforward, between the eyes production. Now, Eliminator, you might call it a fancier production than, than old ZZ Top. You'd probably be right with that. But there is there is a sort of a, a modernization, a, a gleaming simplicity. You know, uh, it was even called dance metal at the time. So there's also that about it. Um, I, I don't know if I, I, I would say, yes, I, I would agree that, uh, there is also this idea of the right between the eyes simplicity. It's a little more straightforward, uh, than the old stuff. The old stuff's a little more Southern rock, a little bluesier, a little more, uh, you know, maybe guitar-y academic. And this is a little more straightforward power chords, chordal kind of thing, right? Um, that's, that's kind of part of this as well, um. That idea from going uh, going from the the whittly single finger riffing to uh, to to being more chordal in what you do. Uh, another one that I think totally fits this category is uh, Scorpions, Animal Magnetism. Uh, Matthias Jabs is essentially this band's Dave Holland. Um, so we go from the Uli era, which is everything I just said about ZZ Top. It's uh, it's a little more Hendrixy and guitar-y and note dense and a little more obscure. When Matthias comes into the band, um, you know we get love. Love Drive, Love Drive feels a little transitional, but we get this 1980 album, Animal Magnetism, uh, where you definitely get the more chordal uh, idea. So Priest going chordal, Scorpions going chordal, uh, Genesis, Duke and Abacab. Okay, so there's a little bit of a um, there's a little bit of a crossover there. Um, you know, Duke is the 1980 album, so I wanted to mention it, but I feel like Abacab is much more uh, this band's uh, British Steel. Uh, again, the um, the straightforwardness, the hitting you between the eyes, the sort of elevation in songwriting, the songwriting that can appeal to more people, the universal songwriting kind of thing. Um, you know, and in this idea of simple whacking production, um, I've, you know, the, the way people talk about Kiss Rock and Roll Over feels a little bit like that as well. You move from Bob Ezrin over to Eddie Kramer, and uh, this is just a more back to basics, simple sort of album. So Rock and Roll Over, in a sense, is, uh, is Kiss's British Steel. Um, Fleetwood Mac, Fleetwood Mac. I feel like Lindsay and Stevie are this band's Tom Allen and Dave Holland, right? Um, you get this idea of, um, simplifying and netting it out let's think way more about songwriting here it turned out to be a massive hit so it's it's uh, again moving from uh the obscurity of of sounds that uh, maybe just appeal to a cult uh to having a big hit album i feel like tigers of pantang does this as well when you move from uh the likes of well you know i mean i think you get a transitional album in crazy nights but definitely spellbound um is a is a pretty note dance and riffy and speedy album it's a little more Judas Priesty from the 70s. And The Cage uh, is them uh, discovering more, more chordal, straight between the eyes, commercial sort of feel. So I think that fits. Um, you know, we've talked about Iggy Pop Instinct. Uh, I remember when that came out, you know, we've talked about the... the be careful what you ask for things. So this is a little bit different than that. This is, a, this is more like him saying... 
Um, I want to be less uh, straight artistic. I want to go back to that Detroit rock and roll sound. It is a little more chordal, a little more straightforward, a little more really solidly on the 4-4. That's the other thing about British Steel, right? It just feels with Dave Holland, you know, that the the good thing people say about Dave Holland is that you really get that whacking 4-4 sort of beat feel out of the guy right and that's and that's why the band liked him as well so i think instinct is a little bit um iggy pops british steel uh just 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 in that respect let's take a short break we'll be right back hey pantheon listeners christian swain here you caught me just finishing up some editing on getting real with john and beth i want to share my first experience with factor meals for you i think you'll find this interesting because i bet the same thing happens to you I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new Factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, uh, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. 
Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back again here. Episode 242, This Band's British Steel. Uh, Let's take a listen to our second selection and we shall discuss. This is Yes with Owner of a Lonely Heart. Shake, shake yourself. Okay, so the point I wanted to make here, this is a category that's similar to the first category. Um, a little bit about songwriting, a little bit about hitting you between the eyes, but it's it's. I have a very specific point I want to make here, and it's the um, it's the chorus to "Living After Midnight" that shocked us as kids. Those simple, dependable Louie Louie chords that you get there is so foreign to anything Priest had done before. Everything Priest had done before was pretty darn serious, right? Uh, whether it was heavy or whether it was one of their dirgy funereal ballads, everything was serious, right? So so what you get with um, the chorus of Living After Midnight and not so much the verse, because the verse is actually pretty heavy metal, uh, but the chorus is not. Um, uh, and so so you get this this uh, shocking sort of step, almost like breaking the fourth wall or, or, or breaking a... You know, breaking a laugh sort of thing, breaking the fourth wall in the sense of, uh, you know, start starting to snicker uh, during your part in Saturday Night Live, that sort of thing, right? Um, so I, I feel like the chorus is that. So Owner of a Lonely Heart feels that way because of that, that verse riff and the fact that it's played on no-nonsense electric guitar. Um, and that riff is really simple and pedestrian. Uh, it's definitely not a prog rock sort of riff. It's a it's a let's get out into the commercial world riff. And the other thing that that I find interesting about it is that um, it's it's used for the verse and for the chorus. So it's one of these boring sort of songs uh, in a way, you know, boring in quotes. Uh, obviously, it was a big smash hit, and it's got so much window dressing on it that it's not boring. Um, but it's one of these boring songs where. Um, the verse is just a quiet version or a slightly different arrangement. Um, it's and it's used again in the chorus, right? It's, it's so you get that riff during the verse. You get that riff uh, during the the chorus, which is obviously that's different than "Living After Midnight." But my point is, is that that song was really, really super shocking, right? Um, I feel like Jump makes 1984 Van Halen's British Steel uh, in this respect as well, because that was a shocking, shocking. Uh, leap into commerciality with that really simple synthesizer riff Um, and going back to the Megadeth uh, album we just uh, talked about Symphony of Destruction with that really sort of stark with a lot of spaces between it it's just such a 
brilliant brilliant riff on symphony of destruction it feels uh like it's like it's got a little bit of that you know eyebrow raising uh, um, quality that the chorus of living after midnight uh, has um another one bites the dust so this is interesting. I, I really feel like uh, I want to talk about the game more in the next category, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to restrain myself. But Another One Bites the Dust uh, strikes me as a, um, a really shocking uh, sort of thing that happens with Queen, like a step out into the world. But they're, they're doing something really sort of experimental uh, on that, but I feel there's a bit of that there. Uh, Rush, Tom Sawyer. I feel like the idea of playing those big washy chords and playing super slow uh, was a bit of a shock and and uh, and sort of a uh, statement of simplicity that you get out of the chorus of Living After Midnight. And Kiss I Was Made For Loving You doing that disco song feels a little bit like a Living After Midnight moment, right? So um, you get Kiss saying, okay, we're going to do a disco song. Uh, whereas Living After Midnight is like, we're going to play you some old rock and roll chords. We've never done this before. Uh, so that's kind of the idea there. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, take a listen to our third selection here. This is Black Sabbath with Neon Knights. Here it comes again. Okay, so the category here is 1980, and I want to thank Andy Blacksugar, um, who during that, and I, I didn't bring it up at the time because, you know, everything moves so fast. This was a really cool episode, this episode we did uh, of the Contrarians on the Game, but one of the things he said I thought was probably the most insightful thing of that whole episode, um, he was really, really defending Queen the Game, and he said, this is the album Queen had to make in 1980. I love that statement from Andy. I thought that was really cool. So so the idea here, this category is the 1980 category. Um, and what you get, let's talk about this Black Sabbath album for first, first of all. So there's a, there's a little bit of this idea that um, Black Sabbath moves from being the super creative, almost immortal sort of 70s band uh, who can really surprise you with a lot of things uh, over into 1980 where it's a no-nonsense age, it's a new age, it's a computer age. We're just going to hit you right between the eyes with these straightened out songs. Uh, the arrangements are much simpler uh, you're, that you're going to get on here. Even even from Never Say Die, the much maligned Never Say Die, the arrangements on Heaven and Hell are very simple. Martin Birch just does a very straightforward you know, guitar, bass, and drums sort of feel uh, across this album. Um and uh, and Neon Knights, uh, you know, exemplifies that perfectly. I think with Ronnie coming into the band, Ronnie is is actually a little more uh, a little less complicated to figure out from a persona point of view than what Geezer and Ozzy give you combined between that uh, lyric and vocalist uh, situation. So again, we're moving from the obscure, strange band, uh, the Krautrock Black Sabbath, as it were. Uh, over into the gleaming 1980 Andy Black Sugar. This is the album Black Sabbath had to make uh, in in 1980 sort of thing. Um, I feel like Budgie Power Supply feels a bit like this as well. Now, again, we talked about that just like the Iggy Pop where we talk about uh, this is uh, uh, this is the the be careful what you ask for. Here's your heavy metal album. So Budgie Power Supply is, again, 
absolutely straightening it out. Uh, we've gone from uh, being the kraut rock budgie uh, into the uh, the rock and roll ACDC heavy hit you between the eyes, um, new wave of British heavy metal budgie. Um, ACDC back in black. Um, why did I put this in the category? Oh yeah, just because it's 1980. Um, I don't feel like um, we've got another category coming up, black album covers. But anyways, <laughs> this uh, this I put it in this category for 1980. I really don't feel that back in black is is there is there british steel in really any any way i i considered thinking about highway to hell a little bit with that mutt lang coming in and and making sense of their songs and making them much more commercial so there's i almost feel there's more there's more to it there but we got a black album cover here and we got a 1980 album so enough of that um thin lizzie chinatown i just put in here because it was 1980 uh I also though feel there's a there's a tinge of the of the uh, of the British Steel idea here because Chinatown is an album that everybody talks about as being a little bit back to basics Thin Lizzy. Let's go back after we have this exciting time with Gary Moore uh, on this really quite creative album. Let's let's just hit all the marks sort of thing. So there's a little bit of that that goes on with this, but really Priest isn't really doing that. Um, but uh, okay, so Rush Permanent Waves, I just put it in here for 1980. And again, a small, small, small point to make about, you know, Rush makes this point way bigger than it should be because it's not exactly correct. Um, I think they've, they've kind of bought their, their own Kool-Aid uh, on the narrative about that, you know, making this, this the uh, shorter songs or whatever. But so the idea there is that they are simplifying to some extent but it's not a very simple album is it um and then i had you know let's mention animal magnetism again in here because it's a 1980 album um all right let's move on to our fourth selection here this is white snake with would i lie to you Okay, now this is this is a funny, just a fun category. This is the black album cover category, but I definitely wanted to play White Snake here because, to me, um, on a on a deeper level, you know, you know how I always say White Snake enters their Kiss phase, right? Um, so this is the first of the Kiss albums from this band. Previous to this, they were trying to be a slightly deeper blues rock 70s bass band, I think, um, with with uh, all the previous albums. Um, but with this and Saints and Sinners and and definitely slide it in as well. And then it actually goes away, oddly enough, for 1987 slash Whitesnake. But the Come and Get It album is definitely, definitely a Kiss album through and through. And Would I Lie to You just shows that. So it's big and chordal with spaces. To me, most of this album is uh, ascribing to the idea of your metal gods your grinder although you know i i think the songwriting is better as well so so they deserve the slightly increasing fame that's happening but it's more the simplicity thing um it's almost a combination of that finding better magical songwriting and just the uh the shock and simplicity uh and the meat and potatoesness of the living after midnight chorus so yeah would i lie to you i'm completely uh, characterizes that also in this black album cover category. Of course, we've got ACDC back in black. We've got Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, which we talked about, black album cover. Um, 
Metallica Black Album, Black Album cover, uh, one that I probably have never talked about on this show, Montrose Mean. Uh, remember that with the the two-tone Black Album cover or Black and Grey. Um, and I also wanted to mention that as well. I mean, this is just a late period reunion, not even reunion, it's just Ronnie and a bunch of new guys. But the other thing about the Montrose Mean album, which is interesting, is that um, it is a simple, straightforward meat and potatoes trying to be hard rock album. So it is, in a sense... Uh, Ronnie simplifying and giving us his uh, British Steel. It certainly didn't sell like British Steel, but uh, Motley Crue Shout of the Devil, another two-tone black. Uh, you know, you got a bit of a spot varnish on there, but it's a black album cover, right? Um, and I also like putting this uh, in this whole episode again because I think they find uh, a simple straightforwardness of the songwriting. That first album is a little obscure and weird. It's a little glammy. It's a little Hanoi rocks. It's a little punk rock. Uh, and I think uh, there's a there's a disciplining that goes on that you get with Tom Allum on the band, uh, and then you get with uh, Tom Worman into the Tom Worman years sort of thing with the band as well. Another black album cover is Dark Side of the Moon uh, by a band you might have heard of called Pink Floyd. Now that again um same sort of thing um they kraut rock pink floyd is gone um and uh now we get sensible songs um with uh with just things that people can relate to a lot more themes that they can relate to so you do get this commercializing this this quite rapid um and stark commercializing of pink floyd on this black album cover uh, album and you get that uh, same thing going on with Judas Priest with British Steel. Um, we mentioned Rush Moving Pictures before, and that is a black album cover. And we mentioned ZZ Top Eliminator before, and that is a black album cover. Um, all right, let's move on to our last selection here. Take a listen to this. This is Saxon with Stand Up and Be Counted. <laughs> Okay, so this category here is a little bit of a catch-all, a little bit of a couple things. I guess it relates. So this is from the Great Wheels of Steel album. Uh, so A, it's also 1980. It's not a black album cover. I mean, they have, uh, technically speaking, I guess, Strong Arm of the Law. You could get that in white or you can get it in black, uh, which is kind of weird. So uh, yeah, the white one was the gatefold in the UK, and the black one is what we got in probably North America, right? Both both uh, territories. Anyways, um, but the point is, uh, Wheels of Steel, so a couple points. Of, well, it's actually three points with Wheels of Steel, and that's why I picked it. So, so 1980, uh, that's one point, uh, same as uh, British Steel. Um, it is also... Uh, this idea of identifying with with heavy metal. So um, I always like that title of the album, British Steel. It's like, okay, here we are. We're part of the new wave of British heavy metal uh, in a way. So that's the other thing with the Saxon. That's the third thing. Um, it is uh, part of, uh, you know, participating in the new wave of British heavy metal in a way that the first Saxon album kind of didn't. Um, they were still kind of uh, confused, didn't know what to do. There was no new wave of British heavy metal in 79. So uh, essentially, um, 
with this, the it's it's the light bulb goes off idea. Um, but also, it's got the word steel in the in the title. So we've got British steel, wheels of steel. So the idea of uh, identifying and and putting uh, putting a stamp on we belong to this thing. So Judas Priest, obviously, they're not a new wave of British heavy metal band, but it's kind of cool that they come in with this illustrated album cover with this title British Steel, and they they kind of say, well, yes, we are, even though we're an older band, you know. They started 11 years earlier, right? Um, so they're coming in with this identifier. Um, you know, the main identifier of this whole thing is new wave of British heavy metal. But British Steel uh, could have could have stuck. It really didn't. Um, but, you know, we, we could have ended, ended up just calling that British Steel that whole, whole time, right? Because of that. So there's that identifier. Two more in the identifier category. Um, you know, we've had a recent debate on Facebook about people for some reason think the name Metallica is goofy. I never thought it was goofy as kids. We thought it was great. We thought it was just this great authoritative, we are the authority on heavy metal. We are the encyclopedia Metallica. We're, we're just called Metallica, right? So I thought that was a great identifier thing. And that always struck me as similar to calling this album British Steel. Um, and the other one that I think is kind of interesting is you've got Venom Black Metal. Um, so that feels, that's obviously a straight on identifier. Um, they're starting, uh, they didn't know this at the time, but they're starting a massive genre, uh, with that title. Um, it's also part of the new wave of British heavy metal, and it's also a black cover, uh, as is welcome to hell for that matter. Um, so you've got your black album cover and I think, uh, a couple others that feel part of this, uh, category kiss creatures of the night is a funny one. We just had this debate on, uh, with my good buddies at, uh, at three sides, uh, three sides of the coin. Um, on um, on Creatures of the Night, um, are they reacting to the new wave of British heavy metal? I, I think not. I think they're too clueless to do that. I think what they're doing is just reacting to, we should go back and be a heavy band and, and re-own this, uh, this category, this space uh, from these, um, you know, diversions that they've been doing recently. Um, but to me, to me, it also does feel like if, even if it is by accident or proxy, they're, they're, uh, they're a 70s band um, stomping into the place saying we want to be part of this. So when Judas Priest calls that album British Steel, they are doing that. When Kiss makes the album Creatures of the Night, they're doing that. I feel like uh, Uriah Heep Abominog uh, feels a little bit like that band's British Steel in that um, they are coming in with a no-nonsense form of heavy metal when they used to be the Krautrock Uriah Heep. Um, so they are uh they're coming in with these uh these commercial songs uh that hopefully and it was a bit of a hit in the UK that hopefully can translate um and they are being part they are an old band being part of the new wave British heavy metal and we mentioned budgie power supply it it fits uh in that respect as as well and it even has that little bit of an identifier in the album title so you got british steel as an identifier you've got power supply um they're telling you this is going to be a powerful album so that's in there as well um so i thought that was cool um i also feel that um with this light bulb going off moment um so with judas priest the light bulb is going off that um hey we do we are part of this we are heavy metal uh we we weren't sure before we were starting to write songs about being heavy metal now we are doing more of that the light bulb has gone off that we want to be 
uh, the band most associated and most happy to be associated with heavy metal coming out of the 70s. So they had that distinction. And I feel like that light bulb goes off a little bit, like I say, with Saxon, but it, it also goes off with Motorhead uh, when they go from the black and white Motorhead to the color Motorhead uh, with uh, with Overkill and Bomber into Ace of Spades. Um, so I think Overkill is their British steel in that respect. And I think Samson, the light bulb goes off with the 1981 album. So it doesn't quite fit. It's not 1980. But with the Shock Tactics album, I think um, their light bulb goes off. And then Quartz even stand up and fight. They go from the 70s band with kind of a massive weird product before, you know, Quartz, Quartz becoming deleted. And then, the, and then this, you know, the album name deleted, right? In the paper bag. Uh, and then they got the live album. But Stand Up and Fight is just this no-nonsense, well-put-together, Tom Allen kind of feeling, um, power chords, all great songs, um, you know, utilitarian heavy metal album. That's the other big point about British Steel, right? It's the utilitarian heavy metal album that everybody can get into. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't tax your intelligence uh, too greatly like much of Hellbent for Leather does and certainly Sin After Sin and Stained Class. Um, so it is it is a heavy metal album for everybody. We can all party. We can play this at a party. We can all have fun with it. So uh, so there you go. Um, that is uh, the episode. Um, boy, we are out of time. So episode 242, this band's British Steel. If you like this show, want to support future episodes, please go to ko-fi.com slash martinpopoff. Hit that red support button and buy me a coffee coffee or a pint this week i would like to thank for various reasons of course andy at black sugar transmission uh lee clifford um steven deluxe jason earl carl isaacson jamie laszlo jamie congratulations on uh on the new show that you have going on sea of tranquility that's a pretty cool idea so what they're doing over there is um they're gonna have a reviews show of new albums and jamie is kind of gonna be running this with uh with george uh who else was steven was in there right and i guess it's those three guys and pete this is kind of a cool thing pete is going to drop in occasionally, but he's not going to always be there. So this is Pete stepping out, saying, part of this family, I'm, I'm going to do some shows where I'm not actually part of it. So I think it's a cool, exciting idea. So congratulations uh, on Jamie for that. Um, and uh, let's see, De- Dennis Maney, Australia. Uh, thank you for that. Um, Augustine Garcia de Pretty, Steve Polari, and Daryl Woodard. Uh, again, for all your book needs, you can go to martinpopoff.com. There's PayPal buttons there. I sign them, ship them out from here. We've got the perfect water book uh and the prints and even some originals are going from that but that's uh that's kind of a cool project that i'm i'm glad to finally see out there's there's more coming soon uh but yeah all those big coffee table books i still got a lot of those as well flaming telepaths of course has really picked up in sales since perfect water came out as well so people are getting on board with both of those that sort of match uh there you go uh for your homework uh, go play that white snake album what the heck eh? have some have some fun um that is uh that is actually a really fun album start to finish the come and get it album find all of our shows notes social and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts all songs can be found for purchase on itunes spotify or google play please purchase these great and important tracks find us on facebook at the rnrap we are on Instagram at R&R Archaeology. Tweet us at R&R Archaeology.
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.